Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Season 3 of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast, Evidence-Informed, Practice-Led. The NBA is in London, England this week. And in today's episode, I sit down with Canada Basketball's men's coach and Ryerson University's head coach, Roy Renna. In this episode, Coach Roy will discuss developing elite talent, team building in short time frames, and performing under intense pressure. Roy also shares how the greatest lessons he's learned are through failure, how you really know if you are truly building culture in your program, as well as talking about leadership and some of the greatest mentors that he's had in his career. I really enjoyed this conversation with Roy, always fascinating to see how the best in the game think. And of course, a lot of wisdom shared here as well in this episode. So if you enjoyed it, then please send out a tweet, share on Facebook, or add to your Instagram story to spread more of Coach Roy's insights with your friends and colleagues. You can check out the podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com, as well as some clips if you'd like to see Coach Roy speaking live. If you're interested in more on this topic, then please circle back to Season 2, Episode 35, with renowned sports psychologist Dr. Peter Jensen on building a champion's mindset and energy management, as well as Season 1, Episode 47, with two-time Canadian Olympic gold medalist Heather Moyce on human potential and redefining realistic. Remember, you can check out all these experts and more on YouTube, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting platform. Make sure you subscribe because you don't want to miss any of the phenomenal, phenomenal guests lined up here in 2019. All right, before we get started, a quick word from this episode's sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. No sugar, no artificial flavors, absolutely nothing added. What is it? Totem Sport is the world's purest mineral-rich ocean water. Collected from natural algae blooms in the Atlantic Ocean, Totem Sport is the only sport drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. The research on ocean mineral water is ramping up. A recent study highlighting its major promise as the optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sport drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. Use the promo code BUBS10, B-U-B-B-S-10, at totemsport.co.uk at checkout, and you can save 10%. Fantastic. All set, let's do this. Season 3, episode number 3 with Coach Roy Rana. Enjoy. My guest today is Coach Roy Rana, the first coach to guide Canada basketball to a gold medal at a Basketball World Championship with our Canada Under-19 squad winning the title at the 2017 FIBA World Cup. He's also been serving as the head coach for our Canadian national men's basketball team at the FIBA 2019 World Qualifiers, successfully accomplishing that feat with an impressive win over Brazil in December 2018. And of course, is currently the head coach of Ryerson University's men's basketball team in Toronto, a perennial powerhouse in Canadian university basketball. Coach, appreciate you taking the time today. Mark, thanks so much. Uh, appreciate you having me on. 
Well, listen, can we start this conversation off here today, perhaps with your early days in coaching? You know, when you were at Eastern Commerce, can you tell listeners a little bit more about that time and why that was so special? Uh, sure, yeah. You know, I actually um, started coaching. It's almost, it's almost been 25 years now. I was uh, initially really my only thought about coaching was to be, you know, a high school coach. Um, I spent 15 years of my career in education as an, you know, as an educator in Toronto and a lot of inner city communities. And uh, when I got my first teaching job, the uh, superintendent of the school board had asked me if I would be interested in helping, you know, in extracurricular activities and coaching. And I, uh, I said, absolutely. Cause that's what you did. And he yeah, kind of asked me what, you know, what I could do. And I said, you know, I could help out with soccer, and, you know, basketball, and volleyball. I kind of played a lot of different sports when I was a kid. And uh, felt that I could chip in, and then I got a call the next day and says, "Well, you're our basketball coach." And that was it. Like I, I wasn't an assistant. It was the you know the team was given to me, and I had to start from scratch. And, Amazing. I uh, uh, took a group of uh, junior boys that were about you know 15 years old, and at a place called C.W. Jeffries High School in North York, and and started there. We won a championship in our first year, and, and just it just became an addiction. And spent the next 15 years of my career coaching high school kids and. Um, you know, at East C.W. Jeffries, and then, at, of course, at Eastern Commerce, which was one of the great programs in Canadian history. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. During your nine-year tenure there, if, if I'm not mistaken here, you guided the Saints to, I think, five provincial championships, right? Um, finishing six of nine seasons as a top-ranked team in Canada, and from what I've read here, a, a record of 256 and 39. So, you know, for yourself, in terms of developing talent, you know, what are some of your principles and philosophies for, for developing talent and allowing it to flourish? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, I look back at that now, and I'm not sure there's a really a, a simple answer to that. You know, one of the things that was really interesting for us at Eastern was, uh, you know, we had this tiny little gym in the basement of a, of, you know, a hundred-year-old school. We didn't even have a regulation court. You know, you couldn't shoot a three from the baseline corner because this gym was so small. When you sat on the bench, you were basically standing, you know, your feet were on the court. So, you know, the refs and, and players as they were on the sideline had to avoid you. So we never played a home playoff game, even though we won, you know, so many titles over uh, the span of, you know, the, the 40 years where we were a power in the school. You know, I had my little 10-year run, but school was always a power in basketball. And I, I thought the small spaces that we had, the fact that we had to train in such a small space uh, really helped our athletes develop. I mean, they had to, they were constantly playing under pressure. Uh, there was no room to breathe. Uh, you know, we had some big, tall, long athlete, athletic kids and they just went at it. I mean, the intensity that we, we practiced at, uh, it was a, a very, very challenging environment for young kids, you know, often putting them in places they weren't comfortable and you just quickly saw this kind of transformation amongst them. And, you know, obviously we were very disciplined in our approach. You know, we spent a lot of time uh, preaching individual skill development. You know, we, we used to do things like at lunchtime, our guys used to be able to come into the gym. The gym was always open, but there was never a game. You know, they could come in and they could shoot. Uh, they could work on their ball handling. We would have some guys out there to pass them the ball. They would work on their individual skills. And if they were ever to play, the max we would allow them to play was three on three. So we did a lot of small-sided games, and a lot of those things we were just doing accidentally. I don't think there was really any thought, you know, put into it. And then we just started to learn as we went and got better at delivering. And but certainly the the environment that we were in really, really contributed to that. And then the type of kids we had. We had a lot of really tough, gritty kids who were willing to kind of go the extra mile because basketball was their dream. 
Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, as you mentioned, they're just interesting to be able to have those skill sessions, those small-sided sessions. And then, as you mentioned, putting uh, players and, and athletes, young athletes, in positions where they're under stress. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, the importance of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I have uh, you know two young athletes in my own family now, and my you know my my daughter and my son are both playing, and uh, you know I'm not I'm not sure they're going to be the type of players that I had at Eastern, but they both love the game and they're and they're you know they're putting a lot into it, and, and certainly I think you know one of the keys that at all levels, even in my Ryerson program, is still being able to play some demands. Right, it's it's being excellent is not easy. Uh, it's challenging mentally more even than physically at times. And, you know, can you create that environment in practice? You know, can you create that environment in training? So we're constantly trying to push our athletes, and we were at that point in time, to just be able to play and train at a, at a level that's a little harder than what they would normally get in another place or what they would normally see in another place. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do that, you know, whether that's creating a, myself as a distraction um, you know, just by with my own intensity and my le- the level of my sound, and sometimes you're getting on them and you're putting them in places where they're not comfortable. Sometimes it's the structure of a drill. Sometimes it's the the competitiveness of a particular drill. But certainly, um, you know, I, I'm a strong believer that you know development doesn't come within your comfort zone. It doesn't. It's not easy. It's something that you've got to be pushed. And um, you know, the best athletes are self. You know, they can kind of push themselves. Um, but often they have to learn those traits and they have to learn, you know, gain those habits. And that usually takes a coach. And fortunately for me, when I was at Eastern, we had, you know, a community of coaches that were all committed the same way. And it it made it really, really easy for us to start to pump out really high level talent. Yeah. As you mentioned, what an incredible run, not, not only your run there, but just the school in general was just a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, place. And if we continue this conversation and shift towards performing under pressure, now, obviously, a couple of years ago, 2017, as the head coach of the U19 Canada Basketball, you know, you guys traveled over to Egypt and had a obviously a huge win against Team USA in the semifinal, and of course, uh, beating Italy in the in the historic win there for for Team Canada. You know, what was that like um, in preparation for for playing Team USA in that semifinal? Yeah, it's interesting because you know I, I think it's. It's no different than playing France the day before. It was no different than playing the Angola two days before that. I mean, you know, our preparation is, at least for, for my teams, is you know pretty uniform. It, it doesn't change dramatically um, because we don't really want to make one game bigger than any other game. I mean, it's just another game. But certainly I think that prepares us for those moments are that we're intentional in talking about them before they come. Uh, we've had a, we had a lot of heartbreak over the years before we got to that world championship win. You know, we'd lost in uh, a number of tournaments in the final eight and couldn't make that jump to uh, to a, a semifinal and a, and a medal shot. We did it in 2010 with the uh, cadet team that I coached, the U17 team that I coached in Hamburg, and that was you know almost just almost an accident. Like we didn't realize what we were doing, but we had this great talent and you know Wiggins and Pangos and Anthony Bennett. We had. Nick Stauskas, we had, you know, we had so many great players that we weren't even aware. We weren't even, know, you know, sure that they were any good. And we went there and had this historic result, and then from there we had a lot of heartache. And I think that those failures, um, you know, those opportunities to come close and not make it, really, really made us think about how we were doing things and how we could deliver it in a more uh, balanced way, I guess, if you could call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we really talked about it. You know, we talked about, you know, what our goal was, how we were going to get there. And, 
Um, you know, our athletes were part of it. We had a theme that overlied our all of our preparation, and we just drew upon those themes. We drew upon those conversations. That was probably the biggest thing that we did. And um, you know, we had a saying that we used when we were in Cairo, um, and I got it from my mentor George Raveling. You know, and I was, I was talking to him prior to we uh, to the tournament and said, "Hey, you know, coach, we've got this." you know, this team and, you know, we're missing all these guys. I mean, we took a, we took a team there that was missing probably 10 of our top, you know, 15 players in that age group on our, in our kind of depth chart. Incredible. So it, it certainly wasn't our A group, but we had a lot of character kids. And so I was asking Coach Ross, you, know, you know, what do you think? How should I deal with this? Like, you know, we're missing all these guys. Guys aren't playing, different reasons. And he said, well, we have a saying at Nike, um, you know, and he goes, I don't understand why, why guys wouldn't play because we have a saying at Nike when the world is watching, be there. And I just love the saying. I just love the slogan, and, and we kind of adopted it. And it was really for us more about just being present and just you know taking the group that we have and not getting caught up in all the distractions back home of you know who's playing, who's not playing, are we going to be any good, oh, you know, expectations um, from within and from outside. And it was really just about, hey, we're here we are. We've got this great stage. You know, where where the world is watching and let's just let's just enjoy it. Let's just be here. Let's just be present. And um, we just kept going back to those themes and just really I think it, you know, it just relieved a tremendous amount of pressure that we put upon ourselves and just allowed us to perform. Yeah, it's incredible the the win obviously over Team USA and then of course you mentioned that preparation there, but it's obviously something that often happens after a big win like that is you know, a bit of a letdown in, in the next game, the subsequent game, which was the final. You know, you talk about preparation. How do how do you keep the team um, on that note? How do you keep the team performing at that same level after such a big win um, leading into that final game? I mean, often teams are reflective of you know the character, of the players that you have on them. And uh, you know, I said to Steve Kunchalski, who was my mentor coach, and he's legendary here in Canada when we were in the locker room and. I was very calm and relaxed, and he was the last guy that I walked out with before we played the final. I said, Coach, there's no way we're going to lose this game. And, you know, he was a little bit surprised by me saying that because I'm usually not very, you know, cocky or anything like that, and it wasn't meant to be that type of statement. It was just the level of confidence that I had. And it was really reflective of, you know, Abu Kijab and R.J. Barrett and Danilo Duricic and all the players that we had on that team. There was just no way those guys were going to come out and have anything but, you know, their best effort. Like, there was no settling we we understood how close we were um we knew what we had to do to get the job done and and we just went out and did it and it was kind of clinical really in, in the final I, the, the big game the big one that we had to overcome the hurdle was our our quarterfinal against france it was a very very strong french team and uh you know we found a way to mix it up and do some things do some things down the stretch that help us win that game but after that it became just you know it was all gravy after that it was all just a great opportunity and uh, you know, the kids, even though they were young, they handled it tremendously. And as a coach during that, uh, a game like that quarterfinal, you know, in terms of applying some of the, the tactical strategies that might be required to, to shift the balance of a game, where's that balance between kind of letting the plan play out and then finding those spots to, uh, to make an adjustment? You know, I think that's that kind of, that art of coaching. I think that's the thing that you can't really, you know, qualify or quantify. It's it's a feel thing. There's intuition there. It's, you know, when do you change a defense? Uh, when do you run a particular action or a play? Or when do you make a substitution that maybe is a little surprising because a guy really hasn't gotten into a game and he's low on your depth chart and you just kind of feel like 
you know, he's going to be able to come in and make a contribution. And uh, we had to do a number of that, a number of those actions in that game against France. And you know, we mixed our defenses a lot. Uh, we made some key substitutions that I think paid, uh, you know, paid dividends. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, against France, it really did. It was a great win for us. And you talked about the buildup to the, that championship and some of those losses along the way, you know, after 2010. So if we shift gears here and talk about failure, you know, what for yourself, uh, you know, can you share a lesson that you learned through failure as a coach uh, that's really helped to, uh, you know, to provide you some, um, you know, a mindset or skills that you lean on today when you're coaching? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's in this business. I mean, there's always failure. You know, there's failure every season. Uh, there's failure with every team. Uh, and I've been in this 25 years now. I've had one undefeated team, and that was – and we had still lost. We lost some games in the U.S., but in Canada we were undefeated. And, you know, I was terrified because, you know, I, I didn't want to lose the wrong game at the wrong time. But every other season that I've had, there's always been failure. There's been failure that's, you know, that you can see because it's a, it's a result. Sometimes there's failure because a player that you had a particular vision for doesn't necessarily – you know, fall into place, uh, you know, in the academic realm, sometimes there's academic failure. Uh, so that, you know, we're, we're constantly dealing with that. And I think you have to have a healthy approach to understand that it's part of it. It's part of the journey. And you, there has to be a certain level of resilience. Um, you know, I, uh, till this day my greatest moment in coaching is a game that I lost, uh, when I was in my first season at Eastern Commerce, we lost to Oakwood in a city championship game in a double overtime buzzer beater. And I'll never forget that. It was the most devastating loss I've ever had in my career. And, um, it was also the one that really challenged me to say, Hey, do I, can I really do this? You know, am I, am I built for this? And, you know, I decided that I was going to continue on and, uh, luckily I've had a lot more wins and I've had losses, but it certainly challenges us emotionally. It challenges our mental toughness as coaches. Um, it really makes us, in some ways also just trying to kind of remember why we do it. And, you know, if we only did it because of the outcomes, uh, it would be a torturous existence. I think, (laughs) I I think it's, it's about relationships. It's about building powerful connection. Those are the rewards of the job. So as long as you can kind of put that into perspective, I think you can overcome the failures. Absolutely. That idea of relationships, especially in team sport, you know, something for me growing up playing team sports is definitely a huge part of the whole deal and you know if we talk culture here for a minute you know culture is a word that's thrown around a lot and uh for yourself obviously at eastern commerce at ryerson here at canada basketball you've been a part of building a lot of highly successful cultures so you know can you put your finger on what goes into the mix of truly building a, a winning culture well, yeah, I think this is something that I've become better at because I think it's it's very intentional. I think the hard thing about culture is that, you know, we often talk about cultures and building cultures, but we don't understand how to do that um, because we don't understand that it can be very intentional. And, you know, I, I think cult, great cultures are, are you know, they have synergy with, with your values and your purpose and all of those things. Those are the starting points of building great cultures. But, you know, in culture purely in itself is is behaviors. Uh, they are very definable. You can evaluate your culture. You know, I think if when you talk about do you have a successful culture, you know, how do you measure it? Can you evaluate it? How do you know if it's if it's successful or not? And I think all strong cultures have very 
um, definable, measurable behaviors. And those are the foundations of good culture. So, you know, if your culture, you know, if touch is a big part of your culture, then, you know, can you measure that? Can you stat that? Um, so, you know, that's just one example. There's a ton of different things that we do and, and we've done it at all levels in the national team program at the senior level, at the junior level, and my teams at Ryerson, my high school teams have always been very, very intentional about how to go about building a culture. And then at this stage in my career, I think it's about measuring that and being able to to evaluate whether you're being successful in building it. And it's a daily fight. It's a daily grind. It's it's something that you're always challenging your players on. And then, you know, great Finally, I'd probably say this, is that once you get there, those behaviors are often, um, you know, they're, they're really player-led. You know, it's when the players are driving your culture that you know you're in a really, really good place. 100%. Uh, very well said. And, of course, for yourself, looking around, you know, professional sport, elite sport, collegiate sport, are there certain uh, cultures that, um, you know, inspire you to, to continue to, to build that? Well, I mean, certainly the San Antonio Spurs are probably the, uh, you know, the gold standard for me in basketball. Um, you know, the, the foundation of how they've built uh, their family-like environment and, and all the successes they've, they've had, the, the way they've been able to match the character of the athlete that they're looking for to drive that culture. And a guy like Tim Duncan, you know, the way they've drafted players who fit into their culture. You know, a great example for me is, you know, the, the, the San Antonio um, you know, very deliberate strategy of using food as a driver of culture. You know, you always hear about their team meals and, and them eating as a group. And, you know, after a devastating loss, they'll go out as a group and have a dinner and, and be able to talk and share and cry and laugh and all those things. And, and that just that behavior, that, that action of having that meal is such a huge piece. And, you know, sometimes they're very simple things that we don't think about. Sometimes they're a little bit more complex. You know, they also have this, uh, you know, pound the rock philosophy that's now spread across the league and what that represents for their players and what that represents for their organization. And they've been very intentional building it. So certainly the Spurs have been a real uh, inspiration for me and, and also an organization that I've studied pretty heavily in depth. Yeah, that the idea of um, small things and things like meals and being able to connect in those ways is definitely something that um, brings people together in all walks of life. And you know, for yourself, coaching over a few different generations here, and as, as uh, we get more into social media and players are leaning on their phones more, and, and things seem to change a little bit around around meals and gathering. Could you touch on a little bit of how you feel that things have changed, maybe, or how you need to communicate perhaps differently with athletes from maybe today's generation to a generation ago? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, the distractions are far more prevalent now. There's a lot more competition for people's time, um, you know. And, and um, but but I think it's I'm not sure it's changed tremendously in the fact that if you want to be effective, um, then having you know verbal voice to voice conversation is the key. I think it's pretty simple. I think the challenge becomes it's become a lot easier for us to neglect that because we can just send a text or send a message on social media and uh, we can much more, you know, we can easily make an excuse that, you know, players and people aren't available because they're distracted or their attention spans aren't as focused. But, you know, what I found is that, you know, if you're willing to overcome that and, and it's hard because it's work and it's time and, and we ourselves are a lot more strapped for time. We have a lot more things going on. We're a lot more distracted. 
But if we can kind of eliminate those distractions and just key in on having those individual conversations, voice to voice, person to person, I think that is just a tremendous opportunity to build healthy culture and connection. And uh, in a lot of communities now in, in sport and outside of sport, that's become a lost art. The, you know, the art of having the great conversation is, um, it's a challenging one, you know, it's maybe that's why the reason, maybe it's a reason why podcasts have become so big and so interesting because we get a chance to actually listen to some great conversations because, uh, those are just, they're, they're, they're a lot harder to find and they're a lot harder to create because of, you know, many of the things that you spoke about. Yeah, it's a uh, pretty insightful, that idea that there's, there's more distractions, but when it comes down to it, those, those conversations one-to-one are just as powerful today as they were in, in other generations for sure. And if we, you know, dovetail this into talking about team building, you know, if folks are, who aren't so familiar with basketball might not realize that FIBA recently changed their qualification system for the World Cup, leading to multiple qualification windows. So, you know, for us at Canada Basketball, obviously having access to a lot of different players depending on the windows, which ultimately leads to a roster of, you know, 30 plus players coming into and out of the lineup. So, you know, coach for yourself and coaching that team, what's that like to try to build a cohesive team in a short time frame and oftentimes with different players coming in and out. It's exhausting. Uh, it's taxing because it, it kind of leads into what we just talked about previously, right? I mean, there, there is a lot of conversation that has to happen in a very short period of time and much of that very direct and very intentional. Um, and as a coach, I have to lead that. And it's not just our players, but it's our staff and it's the support staff and, you know, you try to touch everyone as much as you can. You know, Hubie Brown had a great saying, said, you know, 30 seconds for every player every day and sometimes in, in coaching and sometimes in, in life. I mean, in whatever business we're in, that can be a challenge. And, you know, just to be intentional in that way in such a small uh, snippet of time and say, I'm going to make that time for every person every single day can be a challenge. Now, you know, scale that up in a, in a short prep time when you're going into a major competition and you have, you know, maybe three days to prepare and you have 20 people in your group and, uh, it's a lot of energy and sometimes you have to make some choices. And, um, for me, the choices have always been connection first tactics and strategy second. And, uh, I try to be as intentional as I can in that way to make sure that there's a healthy connection because, you know, trusting and trusting teams and teams that are connected are far more successful than, Teams that have a great, you know, tactical plan, in my opinion. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, in that qualification period, you know, you mentioned kind of building sort of those bonds first and connecting with people first. And of course, we had some pretty arduous travel to get to the first game in Venezuela. Um, the result wasn't um, ideal. Obviously, there was a loss there, which put a bit more pressure on the subsequent game in Brazil. You know, how do you how do you bounce back from that in such a short time frame, knowing? Um, you know, the guys are tired, guys haven't slept, tough loss, and now you got to come back and, and and get everybody on the same page and really bring that 100% effort for that uh, subsequent game. Yeah, I think there's there's a few things there. I mean, one is just, uh, you know, I, I've become far more uh, interested and also invested in load management. And, you know, obviously, you know, the team that we have at Canada Basketball, I think from a sports science perspective, is one of the best in the world. I mean, and you're part of that team. And so, you know, I've had a real curiosity to learn as much as I can about what we're doing on that side and then, and then trust it and uh, really, you know, follow, you know, and and have, you know, 
really, really in-depth, uh, meaningful conversations with Sam Gibbs, who, you know, obviously uh, runs our runs that whole side of things for us and, you know, collectively decide how we're going to manage load. And then, you know, really, again, coming back after that Venezuela loss was having an honest conversation. And, and I didn't feel that it was, you know, I kind of thought we did all right. I, you know, we lost by eight, uh, which set us up nicely for the return leg at home when Venezuela was going to come play us. But all things considering, you know, a 26 hour travel, we arrived uh, in Caracas and checked into our hotel rooms at 7:30 a.m. and played at 6:15 that 6:15 that night. Unbelievable, right? You know, we had no practice, we had no shoot. We just decided that we were going to watch film and then head to the arena and play the game. And I was fine with that because I, my biggest thing was I wanted them to be rested and as fresh as we could. Um, and we talked about it as a group afterwards, and, and I put it in perspective. I said, "Hey, you know what? Tough loss. You know, shots didn't go down. We were a little sloppy. We are, and we turned it over. But all things considering." Um, you know, uh, our, our qualification wasn't a one game process. It was, you know, we had three more games to go after Venezuela and we put it in perspective and got on the plane at 2am that night and had another grueling day of travel and, uh, started to get ready for Brazil. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it is just having a measured approach, trusting your team and really being honest in your messaging. Yeah, you mentioned, obviously, Sam Gibbs, the performance lead, and Charlie Weingroff, strength and conditioning, Jay Meehan, the rest of the team um, supporting there. And, and you guys, as you mentioned, the process, I mean, just being able to be consistent like that and come up with such an impressive performance versus Brazil was was really great to see. And, you know, if we kind of dovetail that into, you talked about some of the coaches that were, were mentors for you. Um, you mentioned even Hubie Brown talking that, you know, 30-second conversations for each player, you know, what are some of the other coaches that over the years you've either looked to for inspiration or found um, some insight as mentors along the way? Well, probably the first coach that I really kind of looked to and said, hey, you know, this, this, is, this is somebody that I'd like to follow was Tom Izzo at Michigan State. I was a high school coach. Uh, myself and my assistant went down there early in my career there. And it was my first time in that environment. I was blown away at how hard he pushed his teams. And, you know, I thought I was a pretty hard driving coach until I saw Izzo and what they were doing in Michigan state. And it, wow. it allowed me an insight into, you know, how much further I could challenge my teams and push them outside their comfort zone to try and drive them towards excellence. So he was probably one of the first ones, obviously more recently, you know, Greg Popovich has been someone I've had a chance to watch work. Dwayne Casey, who's been here locally in Toronto has become a, you know, became a mentor Quinn Snyder in Utah, I spent some time with him in the summer league, and he's just a just a brilliant man in, in so many different ways, well-rounded, and obviously a phenomenal basketball man, but, uh, you know, those three, and then, you know, much of my mentorship now comes outside of basketball, to be honest with you, Mark, I'm, I'm not seeking coaches more than I am seeking mentors in life, and you know, the most important one I've ever had has been George Raveling, because he's, you know, just what he's been through as a man, and what he represents and the knowledge and experience that he brings to every conversation is far more important to me than what I'm searching for, you know, from a strategic or a tactical perspective. You know, he's taught me how to listen. He's taught me how to read. He's taught me how to, to love in some ways. So for me, that's, that's been the most powerful mentor I've had in my life. I'm, I'm pretty open and honest about that. And I'm always seeking new ones. So if you got a good one, let me know. <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, you know, you talk about connections and obviously, um, you know, someone like that being so uh, skilled in so many different areas. And, you know, it comes back to this conversation around purpose. You know, you've touched on this a little bit, but I'll pose it to you again. You know, what's what's your purpose as a coach? You know, why do you do what you do? 
I think it's pretty simple to impact the lives that I touch, right? I mean, you, you really want to make uh, some type of a positive impact, whether that's really small, uh, you know, and when I was a high school coach, it could sometimes be, you know, helping a young man or a young woman get over their, uh, you know, an insecurity or a shyness to be able to look someone in the eye and, and, and shake their hand in a good, firm, confident way and, Sometimes it could be to transform an organization and make them believe that they can be the best in the world. Uh, sometimes it's to celebrate diversity. Um, sometimes it's to celebrate and build great connections and appreciate those connections. So I think for me, it's, you know, I've always been coaching because I love making an impact in people's lives. It's why I started as a teacher. Um, you know, our purposes can change. Um, you know, and I coach a lot of different teams and a lot of different um, arenas. Um, but I think, you know, the, the foundation of, of all of my purpose has been that to try and make an impact in the lives of the people that I touch. And because I think when you try to do that, they, they have a tremendous impact on you. I mean, as much as I try to make an impact on the people I touch, they continue to transform me every time I have an interaction. Yeah, it's a very well said in terms of that getting so much more from whether it's our patients our clients our athletes. Uh, learning from them is definitely a huge part of the whole process. And coach, I definitely want to respect your time here. Fantastic insight. So last couple questions for you here before we wrap up in terms of performance, you know, where do you think the next greatest gains are going to come from? You know, at the elite level, at the professional level, uh, is it in the, is it the coaching? Is it in the tactics? Is it uh, sports science? You know, where do you feel like there's some next gains to be made? I still think we're only beginning to discover the the whole mental side of, um, you know, I think obviously uh, sport, sports psychology, performance psychology, whatever you want to count, uh, call it, has become, you know, fairly impactful in the past, I would say probably five years is really when we started to see it become accepted into the mainstream. Yet I still think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there to impact people and performance and organizations. So I continue to think that'll be a, a real opportunity moving forward I, I think that's still a you know just like you know we're learning about the brain and we're learning about ourselves i think um you know hand in hand that, that's where our greatest opportunity is yeah the brain definitely uh always wins as they say it's definitely a, a huge huge area and um finally here for athletes and practitioners coaches listening in they're all trying to impact their clients um regardless if they're you know a coach so What's one piece of advice that you would give as a coach to help them on their journey? Uh, you know what? Just in, enjoy and appreciate. Um, you know, I, I think that the concept of having gratitude and thoughts of gratitude, and I know that's become a little bit cliche now, but I think there's tremendous value there. I really do. I, I think the more that we walk into any opportunity or any relationship, um, you know, whether that's for me as a coach or whether it's for a doctor or a practitioner or a strength coach, whatever that is, is, you know, if we, if we walk into that opportunity with the proper mindset, and I know we've talked, you know, there's a lot of talk about growth mindset, but I, I think the, the, the real mindset is one of gratitude. And if we walk into those opportunities with gratitude, it opens up tremendous opportunities for us because, you know, it, it's in that space where you're thankful for that opportunity that you can really do your best work. So that, that for me is probably the one foundation. Fantastic, Coach. Listen, I really appreciate you carving out some time today. You know, where can people stay connected with with you, and then uh, keep tabs on all your uh, phenomenal work? 
Oh, it's an interesting one. Probably Twitter is probably where I'm most active, uh, Roy underscore Rana. But, you know, so I'd say that's probably the one spot where, you know, I kind of dabble with a little bit. Um, other than that, just, you know, just keep following our national team or the Ryerson Rams and uh, hopefully we can connect that way. Awesome. We'll definitely uh, include those links in the show notes here at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. Coach, again, really appreciate you taking the time coming on. Thanks again for everyone else tuning in. If you have any questions for Coach Rana or want to leave a comment on today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. Of course, if you enjoy the show, take a minute, subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting platform. And thanks again. We'll see you guys all next week. The Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcasts.